Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash apologia. But for now, let's get to the episode, part of the Hammond News series, posted August 7th, 2017, titled, Only Christians Want to Live. Welcome to Apologia, and another edition of Ham and Egg News, where we react to Ken Ham's crew reacting to things. Hi, and welcome to Answers News for July 3rd, um, 2017. It's July. Uh, so we always try to say some things here and um, just talk nonsense. And my phone just notified me that Ken Ham is live. Oh, yes, we are. Yes, you are. <laughs> we are. Yeah, it's always a mixed blessing, isn't it? Hey, I noticed uh, somebody here said uh, they're watching from Ontario, Canada, and this next oh, article... comes from Canada. Uh, is, uh, and I'll be interested in any Canadians commenting on this. As you may know, I'm Canadian, so they actually get Canadian commentary on most stories they share. Though so far, they haven't seemed that interested. Canada passes radical law forcing gender theory acceptance. Okay, here we go. I know there's been a lot of talk already, particularly from these two titans of Canadian YouTube skepticism, but it's one thing to have my fellow countrymen toss thoughts around, and quite another to have the Answers in Genesis types flagrantly fearmonger from a country away. While I was once on a career path in law, and continue to fancy myself a bit of an amateur lawyer, which is roughly as bad an idea as it sounds, for today, I thought I'd call in a ringer. I'm Amy. I'm a Canadian law student who's done some research on human rights legislation, both as part of my classes and as paid work. I'm not a lawyer, so none of what I say here is legal advice, it's just my opinion. Amy, please. This is Answers News. Have you seen who we're dealing with? Any quasi-informed opinion is a drastic improvement. The bill adds gender expression and gender identity to Canada's Human Rights Code and to the Criminal Code's hate crime section. So if you disagree with gender, you know, free gender expression, free gender identity, it's considered a hate crime. So now you can be in prison. I should explain quickly that what Bill 16, C-16 is... That's the Canadian legislation Georgia is referring to as a radical law. It modifies two pieces of legislation, the Canadian Human Rights Act and the Criminal Code of Canada. I'll focus on the Human Rights Act since that's where I've done the most research. To say that here that if you disagree with being transgender, that's considered a hate crime is factually incorrect. Canadians are free to privately hold whatever opinions they like. And in a human rights context, the legislation definitely does not prevent anyone from having the opinion that transgender rights are wrong or misled. What it is intended to prevent is employers refusing to hire transgender people, landlords refusing to rent to them, public services being denied them, and publications or signs discriminating against them because of their status as being transgender people. As well, in a criminal context, I would just like to note that there is a section of the criminal code, section 319.3b, that says that expressing or attempting to establish by an argument an opinion on a religious subject or an opinion based on a belief in a religious text is not a criminal offense. That religious viewpoint is now being imposed on the population in yeah. Canada. Right. You have to believe that religion, otherwise you can go to jail, yeah. essentially. Again, factually incorrect. Neither human rights legislation nor this section of the criminal code allows the government to imprison you for disagreeing with transgender rights. Actually, you can't even go to prison for a human rights violation, though you can be ordered to pay damages to the person you discriminated against. And while you can go to jail for less than two years under the hate speech provisions of the criminal code, 
you'd have to incite hatred against transgender people in a public place in such a way that it's likely to lead to a breach of the peace, which is quite a lot different than just saying to your friend or even preaching to a congregation that you disagree with transgender rights. So that means if the government starts talking about men and women, that, mm -hmm. that, that's a hate crime. Well, you know, the Bible, or not the Bible, but, you know, U.S. law, you know, you go back to some of the founding documents, all men are created equal kind of right. thing. I mean, that stuff would be hate crime. I have to ask, and this is a serious question, do you think that the Constitution of the United States applies to Canada? I think you might think that. Well, they even wanted, they, they were talking all throughout this article about it being government-mandated speech. Okay, no. Referring to people as men and women would not itself constitute any kind of hate crime. I'll refer again to the section of the criminal code that protects religious speech, and I'll also note that this characterization of Bill C-16 as some government-mandated thought police initiative is wildly overblown. The law does not prohibit referring to people as male or female or agender or non-binary. Those are descriptive terms. It also doesn't prohibit disagreeing with transgender rights as long as you don't disagree in a way that endangers transgender people. You're allowed to think that transgender people are wrong or misled or even sinful and under human rights legislation if you're not employing, renting to, providing a public service to, or publishing something on transgender people. You're allowed to be rude and you're allowed to use the pronouns they don't prefer. What you're not allowed to do is act on your opinions about transgender people in such a way that it exposes them to disadvantage. You know, if somebody is a gender or, you know, non, oh, I can't believe I'm using these terms, non-binary gender, that you're supposed to refer to them by their preferred pronoun. But that would go against my belief that people do have gender, that it is biological, that it's not your choice. And so that yeah. becomes then government mandated speech that you're requiring me to say something I don't right. well, Okay, so a last thought on this. Given that all that Bill C-16 is doing is amending existing pieces of legislation. It's very disingenuous to refer to these amendments as though they're in an entirely new arena for human rights law in Canada. Because the reality is that every province and territory in Canada, except the Yukon, has some protection for transgender people in its human rights law. The Northwest Territories has acknowledged gender identity in its Human Rights Act since 2004. So provincially regulated entities already can't discriminate against transgender people and haven't been able to for, in some cases, quite a few years. And there have been none of the dystopian limits on free speech that are suggested here. This sort of thing, you know, years ago in Australia, they introduced this legislation against so-called hate speech and all the rest of it. Uh, and, you know, there were pastors who were taken to jail because yeah, they were doing a Bible study and talking about the Muslim faith, and there was a Muslim who came there deliberately to then go away and accuse them of a hate crime because, yeah. of the, anyway, it, yeah. they ended up... Uh, um, freeing those pastors. Yeah, freeing yeah, but it pastors. took like two years. Yeah, it did take a while, yeah. This is actually an interesting case. One of pastors Daniel Scott and Danny Nalaya, the two Dannys. But Ken is wrong when he says they were taken to jail. In a lower court, the two pastors were sentenced to issue an apology, a far cry from jail for calling Islam a religion of hate and insinuating that they were planning a takeover of Australia. After an appeal, the case went to mediation, and in the end, both parties simply agreed that religious debate was a spirited affair. So really, nothing happened. But good job on the fear-mongering and misrepresenting, Ken. Um, this next comes from The Blaze. Um, Christian school fears Bible verses will be banned under new human rights code in Canada. So just a factual note quickly, this is not actually related to Canada's new federal human rights legislation. It comes under provincial human rights legislation, which in Alberta has protected sexual orientation since 2009. So the relevance of that is just that the amendments to Canada's federal human rights legislation aren't relevant here.
basically now it's a hate crime in the um, in Canada to speak against LGBTQ. Um, another factual note: hate crimes don't occur under human rights legislation. We're discussing a potential human rights violation not a potential hate crime. So she's just mixing up terms. The difference between them is that you can't go to jail for a human rights violation, which is what we're discussing here, not a hate crime. And it's also, um, they passed a law that if you, if, as parents, if you do not affirm your child's um, LGBT, you know, transgender, whatever they want to do, as far as that goes, then that's considered child abuse and they can be removed from the home. Yeah. Okay, so the legislation she's referring to here is Bill 89, an Ontario bill, not a federal bill, so not something that applies for all of Canada. Some fairly crucial details are being left out here. The first is that Bill 89 amends the Ontario Child Youth and Family Services Act, a piece of legislation that governs the child aid and youth justice systems in Ontario. And from what I can tell about the amendments to the act, and again, I'm not an expert, this is just my opinion, it seems as though the amendments instruct service providers in the child welfare system to take a child's gender expression and gender identity into account when deciding what is in that child's best interest as far as placement with a foster or adoptive family. So this wouldn't be a determinative consideration and because there are a lot of other things that go into a decision about what is in a child's best interests. But I think what's happening here is not that children can be removed from their homes if their parents disagree with their trans identity, but that when a child enters the child welfare system, one consideration that will inform that child's placement with a foster or adoptive family is whether that family supports the child's gender identity. <laughs> a, a transgender teenager probably shouldn't be placed with a family who won't support their identity. It doesn't seem like that would turn out well for either party. Here's a Christian school who has these um, passages of scripture, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, that talk about sexual immorality and homosexuality in, in uh, specific terms. And they're being uh, told by this authority that they've got to take these pieces out, focus on the love passages, not on the judgment passages. Okay, so a little bit of constitutional background here. The school in question, Quarterstone Christian Academy, is not a private school. This is relevant because private schools are not funded by the government. Cornerstone Christian Academy is part of the Battle River School Division, which is funded by the government. Human rights legislation doesn't always apply in private contexts. I'm not sure if it would still apply in a private school context, but it definitely applies in a public school context because it definitely applies to the government. And because Cornerstone Christian Academy is therefore technically an agent of the government because it's government funded, it's fairly problematic for a government agent to overtly express negative views on LGBTQ sexuality because that would mean that a government agent in a situation where the government is supposed to be neutral is expressing a preference for one religious creed over another. So obviously enough that muddles the line between church and state fairly significantly. It's not a violation of anyone's freedom of speech to ask the school to remove these Bible verses from its student handbook because government actors preserve other people's freedom of speech by remaining neutral in situations like this. Teachers at Cornerstone Christian Academy, if they're paid by the government, are agents of the government. They're of course free to express their religious convictions in their private lives, but they are not free to provide taxpayer-funded education that prefers one religious creed over another. Because they said, well, we want to remove anything that could be deemed offensive to a particular group of students. Yes. <laughs> and the reason that they want to remove anything that could be deemed offensive is because having these Bible verses in the student handbook makes the school division vulnerable to a human rights complaint, which means they could get taken to the human rights tribunal, which means they spend more taxpayer money either defending themselves or settling with the complainant, which I imagine is not something they're eager to do. So I immediately thought of the verse in Ephesians, which talks about obeying your parents, children obeying your parents. I'm like, well, most kids are probably offended by that passage. So maybe we should remove that one too. 
So just a last note on this, this is a bit of a weak attempt to equate being offended with being discriminated against. It's not discrimination if a kid doesn't like a Bible verse because they're annoyed at being told to obey their parents. It is discrimination if an LGBTQ kid goes to a public school, a school that the government funds to provide education to all Canadian students, and discovers that a government-funded school considers their sexual orientation unacceptable. Doc Stelling is a PhD yeah. in geology, mm-hmm. yeah. got his PhD from Sydney University, he's done an incredible amount of research. He's done 25 years worth of research at the Grand Canyon. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's interesting, <laughs> because they didn't want him to do any research at the Grand Canyon here recently. Yeah. And uh, we, we suspected it had to do with his beliefs in creation, yeah. that because of his religious beliefs. Yeah. We need to stand up against this, mm-hmm. yeah. and Alliance Defending Freedom uh, actually sued the Grand Canyon National Parks and, and the United the, States Department of Interior, Department of Interior yeah. because they were infringing on Andrew's religious beliefs. It was discrimination. You may recall Hammond Egg News covered this story a few weeks back. Dr. Andrew Snelling of Answers in Genesis had been denied a permit to take some rock samples from the Grand Canyon Park. The government said that Snelling hadn't met the application criteria and that his proposal could be satisfied with samples from outside the park. So, naturally, Snelling eventually sued. Now, I said at the time that if the reason for this denial was indeed on religious grounds, that I would side with Snelling on this. However... There seemed to be ample evidence that Snelling was not complying with the basic guidelines that apply to everyone. They finally backed down. Yes, it's true. Unfortunately, we will never see the merits of this case argued. It seems the Park Service has capitulated and granted Snelling his permit. The ADF declared that the National Park Services agrees to stop discriminating against Christian geologists. However, in a statement to the Friendly Atheist, the National Park said the permit was granted to facilitate resolution of a legal dispute and... Issuance of the administration launch permit neither implies an admission of fault by the NPS, nor does it set a precedent for future issuance of administrative launch permits. Though from my perspective, it sure looks like they're setting a precedent that all the creationist has to do is shout foul and they'll get their way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they even sent a letter saying, yes, your, your research is bona fide, you know, quality research yeah. and all the rest of it. Given that this contradicts the NPS statement, I'd sure love to see a copy of that letter. Well ahead of me, the friendly atheist actually secured a copy. I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear that Ken Ham is misrepresenting the content. As a preamble, the letter does say that Snelling's proposal uses methods that are similar or equal to standard scientific practice. It most certainly does not say that Snelling does quality research. And what the release letter does confirm is that the Park Service had numerous policy concerns that were unrelated to the science or religion. The high tourist visibility of the proposed sites and the visible damage his chisel techniques would do the treaty implications of tribal land locations, incomplete descriptions of intended work, and so on. Since I'm not under career restrictions like Amy, I'm happy to say that this was obviously never about Snelling's religion, and all about his shoddy research methodology. And so, in a, in a few weeks, Andrew's actually going down the Grand Canyon now. Yeah. And he's going to have a video crew with him. Yeah. He's going to take these samples, but it's another win for religious freedom. My biggest fear in all this was that Answers in Genesis would have ammunition that they were persecuted and that would be far more valuable to them than any actual findings Snelling could make from the rock samples. So, for now, I guess we wait to see the footage, read Snelling's sure-to-be-compelling peer-reviewed research, and watch him collect his Nobel Prize for proving once and for all that the Grand Canyon was formed 4,000 years ago. Alright, so this next article is by Jimmy Carter, Losing My Religion for Equality. So, as many of you know, he's a former president of the United States, and he used to be a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, because he feels that the SBC um, and other religions, so that's what's kind of interesting about this article, that they um, discriminate against women. And one of the things that got me, says they, he says they quote a few carefully selected Bible verses and claim that Eve was created second to Adam and was responsible 
for original sin. Now, when I read that, I think, okay, nope, you just set up something that that's a straw man because we don't say that. We Because the Bible doesn't say that. Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15 make it clear that Adam is responsible for sin. A couple notes here. I think it may be only fundamentalists that feel so comfortable confidently stating things like the Bible says and the Bible doesn't say and the Bible makes it clear. I think the reality is that the Bible says or can be made to be say whatever there's social and cultural pressure on it to say. Georgia or her denomination may not say that Eve was created second and was responsible for original sin, but others certainly could. The Bible is subject to a great deal of translation and interpretation, and it does not make anything clear in the way that it's being used here. Second thing, reading the story in a way that makes Adam the one responsible for original sin is equally as sexist as making Eve responsible for it. If you're going to argue that Adam is responsible because he should have stopped Eve from listening to the snake or taking the apple, that implies that Adam had some sort of responsibility to supervise Eve. To mix my biblical metaphors, it makes Adam Eve's keeper, if you will. And in doing that, he denies the clear teaching in 1 Timothy 2.13, where Paul talks about the creation order, that it was Eve mm. who was created, or Adam who was created first, and then Eve. Eve. And he uses that as a model to set up headship within the family and within the church. Mm. And so Paul is making his argument um, from the very fact and act right. of creation. And that's the basis for those things. Okay, just want to make sure I understand the argument here. Jimmy Carter saying he left the church because it's sexist to claim that Eve is responsible for original sin and was created second. But Roger Patterson is saying that the church isn't sexist because it claims that Eve was created second, but that's okay because being second just means that your husband has authority over you. I don't know. Those seem like equally sexist viewpoints to me. And so as you and I sit here mm -hmm. as a male and a female, both created in God's image, yeah. neither one of us has more value, no. but God has prescribed different roles. For in the home and the church, mm -hmm. you know, those are specific areas. The different roles argument might work if the roles in question were more varied than they are, maybe. But in reality, what happens is that the different roles women are supposedly assigned by God are conveniently all the roles that involve doing behind the scenes work that support men's roles. So the homemakers, the people who clean up and cook and do childcare, the admin assistants who plan events where men get to be in the spotlight. The women's roles exist to make the men's roles possible. The women's roles exist to be subservient to the men's roles. Here's an analogy. The argument that this makes women separate but equal falls apart real fast if you replace men with white people and women with black people. I guarantee, the moment you start arguing that God has assigned black people different roles that involve homemaking and performing administrative work, you will sound very racist, which should make the sexist assumptions underlying this viewpoint very clear. But they say equality is sameness. Like you have to be the same in everything. And that's not what equality means from a biblical perspective. Equality should be that, yes, we're, like, like Roger said, we're, we're both made in the image of God. We're both the same value to God, um, but we have different roles. So how does God plan to recognize this equal value but different roles exactly? It seems like if women are equally valuable, perhaps they should be paid the same? or get the same recognition, or have the same opportunities. It's true that equality doesn't mean sameness, but you don't recognize value by just saying, oh, but God thinks that you're equally valuable and expecting that to be enough. But what he has done is placed himself in the position of God, and now he's the one who's determining right. that truth. Mm -hmm. And he is smarter than God's word, or he can reinterpret God's word uh, in light of the cultural uh, things to to shift the focus. Yes, because you, Roger Patterson, are a white man and you are not interpreting God's word. You know what it says. It's only other people who do the interpretation. Sure, okay. 
It talked about many women around the world facing an enormous and unacceptable risk in pregnancy and childbirth because of their basic health needs not being met. And basically, that's a veiled pro-abortion mm-hmm. comment. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious that Roger thinks Jimmy Carter is pro-abortion for wanting to provide women in developing nations with medical care. If these women had adequate medical care, probably more babies would survive, not fewer. We're not talking abortion clinics in every corner here. We're talking things like having access to prenatal medical exams and having someone with medical training supervise births, both of which would prevent women dying in childbirth, a thing that still happens in 2017. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very sad to see this man who has um, been involved in, in Christianity for so many years, leading so many people down this path and, and misunderstanding, misapplying scripture in so many ways. The only thing that separates Jimmy Carter's understanding of scripture from Roger Patterson's understanding of scripture is social and cultural context. There's no such thing as misapplying scripture because there's no way to know what it was originally supposed to mean. Even if there was some way to know what it originally was supposed to mean, there would also be no way of knowing what it should mean now, multiple thousands of years later. And so, if anything, Christianity is the solution to the problem that he perceives, not the problem itself. So, if I'm hearing this correctly, problems with violence against women would be solved if the whole world would just read the Bible correctly and realize that women are only good at being mothers and doing church administration. If only women would stop trying to be leaders and have jobs, we could get rid of this pesky rape and violence problem. People that say, well, the Bible oppresses women, you know, I've heard that a lot. And I'm like, you're, re- you're not reading the same Bible then that I'm reading because it actually elevates women. I mean, Jesus did that many, many times. And when you think about it, who were the first people to know that Jesus had resurrected women? <laughs> you know, and that's just so countercultural for, for that time period. Okay, two things. It's fine to argue that Jesus elevated women, but it's fairly useless if you're not prepared to follow his example. Jesus may have counterculturally believed that women were just as valuable as men, but he did so by inviting them into traditionally male spaces, which the conservative evangelical church certainly does not do. So arguing that Jesus valued women based on his actions, which defied cultural norms, And in the same breath saying that women should be homemakers, which uphold cultural norms, is wildly contradictory. And and what's funny is, people they're citing as to what they think about it are are commenters on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best authority of all, you know, in this day and age. Yeah. You do realize that twice a week you're a commentator on YouTube, right? What's this person's authority? I have a YouTube channel. I realize that's not as impressive as scrolls of superstitions from the Bronze Age. Now, it looked very convincing on the video, right? But I'm like, but they can make things look really convincing on videos. Thank you. So you really have to ask, you know, who's saying this? Is it by an author- like a university that's come mm-hmm. out with this? or? Wait, wait, wait. Did you just say that a university would be a credible source? Where did that come from? I'm definitely going to have to save this clip for later. In a couple of weeks, we actually, we will have set up a, a sort of a studio, if you like, mm-hmm. on the stage in Legacy Hall, and we're going to open Answers News to those people coming into the Creation Museum so they can be a live audience. Then I thought at the end, at 3 o'clock, uh, when, when the live broadcast goes off, then we can have questions from uh, the audience there too. Get excited, everyone. New Answers News format coming up. I wonder why they don't want to broadcast the questions from the audience. So, okay. with that, we're going to sign off. Signing off. All right, All right we'll see you back Thursday. All right, I guess that's it for Mamie and me. Bye, thanks so much for having me. If you'd like to be notified of new episodes of Ham and Egg News or the Apologia investigations into the claims of creationists, click on the subscribe button. And if you don't already, follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Apologia Zero. Signing off from Radical Canada. Later. <laughs> <laughs>